Welcome to the Life Academy Podcast. Hi, friends. This is Pastor Doug Pratt speaking to you from the studio of First Presbyterian Church in Bonita Springs. In this portion of our Life Academy offerings, when I'll be discussing a Christian perspective on the American spiritual landscape, we're going to be looking at where in the early years of the third decade of the 21st century, America is in a moral and a religious context. The most important reality for us to face is that we are experiencing the end of Christendom in the West. Christendom can be described as that pervasive overwhelming set of values and beliefs and laws and practices that prevailed once Christianity became the official religion of the dominant Roman Empire almost 1,700 years ago, that began to prevail. But we are now moving into post-Christendom, and it is a dramatic sea change with all kinds of implications. Europe moved into post-Christendom decades before America. I believe a turning point, or tipping point, we could call it, has occurred sometime, uh, perhaps even within the past 10 years. Tipping points occur when enough changes result in the seesaw tipping from one side being heavily weighted to the other. And so we are finding that we are now in a post-Christendom era, where our nation is no longer founded or is no longer anchored by a common set of values and uh, beliefs. And this has happened in the lifetime of all of us who are uh, alive today. It has happened in our times. We had always assumed that our government, our education, our entertainment, our media, though not necessarily advocating the Christian faith and its values, would at least be supportive or not hostile to people who held to that traditional faith. But this is changing, and it's changing rapidly as the tipping point has come. And those who are 50 and older are the first generation undergoing this massive cultural shift that is changing our landscape like an earthquake underneath us. Subsequent generations that come along are going to learn how to operate in this new landscape. In fact, people under 30 today have never known anything else, but people who are older can remember a time when it felt as if America was a nation conducive to or supportive of the Christian faith. And because of this underlying change, which is hardly ever noted by secular media, but is the profound story in a moral and a spiritual sense for our own nation right now, therefore Christians are minorities today in the West, in European countries, in those countries founded by Europeans as colonies, and certainly in America. Christianity, when it's lived out consistently, actually is now a counterculture, going contrary to the prevailing and dominant views supported by those who are the influencers and those in control of large swaths of our culture. 
as a result of that, we have to discover what it is like to live as a minority. And whenever this happens, it is always hardest for the first generation who grew up with one set of expectations and has to recompute. Younger Christians today, because like uh, fish who have only known salt water swimming in the sea, this is the, the environment in which they've lived. And so younger Christians, while they may not have the benefit of much of the Christian heritage of Christendom, also have intuitively had to learn how to live as minorities in a uh, hostile or at least a, uh, a disrespecting uh, or a disinterested culture. That is difficult for Christians to be minorities. But folks, it is actually the common default mode for many times and periods in history and many countries today, all around the world. Committed followers of Christ are in a minority position in communist countries, in oppressive governments, in Muslim countries. And even more significantly for us, the New Testament, our founding document, that which gives us the greatest strength and guidance and inspiration, was a book written by a cultural minority for others who knew themselves to be in a very oppressed minority status. And as a result, the New Testament can take on new meaning for us as we American Christians try to learn how to live as minorities in a post-Christendom world. The New Testament will speak to us with a new and powerful relevance. And therefore, while we have a lot to learn, we can be encouraged that we are not the first ones ever to have to live as believers in Christ in a hostile environment. Many have gone that road before, and we have much we can learn from them. Now I want to tell you about a new book. It came out a couple years ago, entitled Live Not By Lies, written by a Christian thinker named Rod Dreher. It was published in early 2020, actually just before the coronavirus pandemic swept around the world. And today, I guess we will probably have to be dating everything as BC and AC, before COVID and after COVID. But this is a before COVID look at what is happening in the newly post-Christendom America. And Rod Dreher's book, again, entitled Live Not By Lies, Rod Dreher, his last name spelled D-R-E-H-E-R, this book has gotten a lot of attention among evangelicals in America and is being widely discussed. And he is uh, an author who has written previously other dimensions of living as minorities in a, a difficult and challenging culture, but this book takes it further. The title of the book, Live Not By Lies, comes from the final essay written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn just before his exile from the Soviet Union when he pleaded with his countrymen and women to live not by the lies of the Soviet communists, even though they could not yet overthrow their corrupt totalitarian government. Solzhenitsyn appeals to them to at least keep their minds and their hearts from being corrupted to refuse to believe the lies and the propaganda. 
and to continually encourage one another and equip one another to be effective dissidents in a hostile environment. Rod Dreyer has interviewed a number of Christians who lived through the communist era behind the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe. Some of them were there when the Iron Curtain fell dramatically at the end of the Second World War. Thus, they were the first generation to have to learn how to live under oppression. And then subsequent generations learned that by osmosis, by their own life experiences. The first generation, Dreyer points out, has the hardest time, which is exactly what I think many of us are experiencing in America. But later generations develop skills. Now, here's what Rod Dreyer is saying in comparison to Soviet communism and its influence in Eastern Europe and the current situation in post-Christendom America. Dreyer predicts that what he calls a soft totalitarianism is going to arise in the USA and has already arisen in Western Europe. The difference between a soft totalitarianism and a hard totalitarianism is important to note. Hard totalitarianism is his term for that kind of official government oppression and violence and attempts to eliminate the Christian faith and Christian values from a society that was conducted by a completely aggressive atheistic communist government. Now, hard totalitarianism is enforced by the government and can involve imprisonment. It can involve a complete shutdown of any viewpoint other than its own. And it can impose great violence, even death, to those who oppose it. Soft totalitarianism is one that is not enforced directly by the laws of governments but rather is carried out informally by the influential portions of a society, including the news media, business, social media, technology, education, and perhaps some bureaucrats at lower levels of government operating outside or beyond the authority of the laws. Soft totalitarianism may not result in death but can threaten the careers of many people. Uh, it uh, can result in what is now being called the cancel culture, where rather than being put in prison, you are socially ostracized or removed from jobs. Soft totalitarianism, what Dreyer believes is happening across America now, uses language that actually comes from a Christian worldview such as diversity, equality, tolerance, and inclusion. All of these are virtues supported by the Bible, but when applied by the current soft totalitarians of the woke or politically correct culture, have different meanings. Inclusion and diversity often actually, in practice, mean exclusion of groups that are not favored, even by racial quotas, such as in college admissions or hiring or by ideology, such as in college tenure, where faculty members who do not toe the line of the thought police of their institution will be denied uh, either professional security or professional advancement. When equality is used, or equity, uh, 
It usually, in soft totalitarianism, means equal outcomes, which could involve forced redistribution of wealth and assets, rather than equal opportunities, which is consistent with the Declaration of Independence and with the New Testament values. Critical race theory and the Black Lives Matter movement are among those that attempt to see all people as belonging only to groups, not as individuals with free choice and independence. And as a result, that is part of the soft totalitarian pressure of people to try to fit in with the dominant view. Human nature shows repeatedly that social engineering and utopianism never work for long. And those who are advocating this are oftentimes naive and even going contrary to human nature and its unchangeable realities. What often happens when a utilitarian or a utopian or a, uh, a revolutionary group takes over a country or a society is that a different group takes power and becomes the oppressors and the abusers. It's exactly what happened when communism took over Russia in 1917. Lenin and his gang promised that they were there to liberate the serfs. They had no intentions to do that. They simply wanted to put themselves in the position of power that the czar and the nobility had been in and enjoy the perks of that power themselves without doing anything for the common people. The danger of utopianism in all its forms is that it fails to deliver its promise. New technologies, such as are exploding all the time, can give greater power to soft totalitarianism. And in the forecast of Rod Dreher, he points out that in every totalitarian system, whether hard or soft, religion is automatically a threat to those who want to control the thoughts and the actions of everyone else, precisely because religion calls for a higher allegiance than the state or the cause or the ideology or the race or whatever that human being is trying to impose. Now, Rod Dreher identifies a key to those who were successful in the resistance behind the Iron Curtain. Of course, we know historically that it was the strength of the church in Eastern Europe that kept uh, the uh, total uh, atheism of communism from taking over the minds and hearts of the people. And in fact, the church often operating underground function most effectively when it thought of itself as being cells of a resistance. As believers would meet together, circulate, communicate with each other in private underground ways, they maintained not only their commitment to their values and their mutual support to one another, but also kept the flame alive so that when communism collapsed of its own decayed weight, the church was there to rescue and redeem and restore much of what had been lost in that country. Rod Dreher encourages Christian churches and Christian groups in America to think of themselves as dissident selves, to learn how to support one another, especially coming to the aid of one of our brothers or sisters who finds themselves under special oppression or pressure. 
dissidents need in a totalitarian context to be cautious and to choose their battles carefully and to be of mutual support to one another. In the time of Christendom, churches in America had the luxury of fighting each other and emphasizing their comparatively minor differences. In a time when Christianity is the minority, we cannot afford those kind of petty divisions. We need to support each other and not try to enforce a uniformity. Differences among us of traditions and of beliefs and practices are okay. But what really matters is that we're all on God's side and that we need to learn not how to be competitors, but how to be allies with each other. One other point that Rod Dreher makes, and it proved to be, uh, I think, uh, rather prophetic, is that soft and hard totalitarianism will tend to try to capitalize on crises and uh, situations of special need to deprive people of liberty and enforce their views. Certainly we've seen some of that with the pandemic of 2020 and 2021 as some have attempted to double down on and enforce uh, their own control over people's liberty. Now I want to offer my assessment of Rod Dreher. Uh, any book review needs to not only provide the positive aspects of the book, but also to offer an independent perspective on it. So here's my assessment of Rod Dreher's book. I am not completely sure that the effort to institute a conformity, a uniform nationwide soft totalitarianism is going to work in America because we are a very large country with a lot of differences. And there are places like Florida, for example, that are more resistant to this dominating uh, soft totalitarianism than places like, for example, California or Oregon or New York might be. As a result, the totalitarianism of the cultural left will look different in different places across America. That far left, that far cultural left, has a tendency to overreach, to push too far, to lose perspective, and sometimes causes a backlash when people look at the consequences of um, their policies and their attempts. And so there will be backlashes, perhaps even significant enough to one day provide another tipping point and move the seesaw back in the other direction. Technology, which can be bad and can be a tool of oppressors, can also be good. It depends on how it's used. Technology is neutral. It's neither good nor bad in itself. It's how it is employed that makes all the difference. And so those who can find ways to use technology for the benefit of the Christian faith and the strengthening of the cultural minority and its dissident uh, approach, technology can be an effective tool for us as well. Those who are traditionalists in the Christian faith and practice are currently a minority in our national government, I believe. But that could change. Every election has consequences, and 
In spite of what uh, some in the media might imply, America is still pretty much a 50-50 divided country, both politically and culturally. Even though the cultural left seems to be dominant, there are a lot of pockets of strong resistance, and any new uh, election can uh, change things. With the explosion of media options, one of the benefits to being a minority culture is that actually we in America no longer have a uniform pop culture that everyone is part of. In the days when only a few television networks were broadcasting, people pretty much watched the same things. Today there are hundreds of channels on television, millions of websites, all an explosion of different options resulting in an explosion of different subcultures. And therefore, for Christians to be a subculture among a plethora of subcultures is a safer place than if we were a minority with a totally unified, dominant primary culture. But that's just not the case. Most the most significant difference, I find, between the United States and Eastern Europe post-1945, even the difference between the United States and modern Europe, which has moved to a soft totalitarianism of the left, the most important difference, and one that I think Dreyer has underemphasized, is the United States Constitution and our court system. And it is that Constitution, with its now almost 250-year-old guarantee of inalienable rights, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, including the amazing First Amendment. Those give American Christians tremendous resources that will allow us legally to resist some of the pressures as wrongly applied by soft totalitarianism. Well, we're going to talk more about that in part two of this podcast. I encourage you to learn more about it. If you feel so led to pick up Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not by Lies, and continue to be an informed American Christian, not giving up hope or being discouraged if we find ourselves in a minority position, but rather taking comfort from the New Testament and the example of believers through all 2,000 years of church history and supporting from and learning from one another as believers who are called to this time to be faithful to God in our country. I'll visit with you again soon as we continue a Christian perspective on the American spiritual landscape. Thank you for joining us for this Life Academy episode. We encourage you to subscribe. And if you enjoy our podcast, please share it with your friends and family. 